Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day, explained and analysed by The Times of London. With me, Rebecca Myers. And Toby Gillis here too. And we'll come to Israel's latest battle shortly, but start with an amazing story of an unknown Russian mum who's gone public with her plans to take on Putin at the next general election. Taking on Vladimir Putin at the polls, impossible? Or has the Ukraine war made it actually slightly realistic? For one woman, it's the latter, and she's given an exclusive, extensive interview to The Times today. The upper house in Russia has announced voters will go to the polls in March next year. It's even declared that people in annexed parts of Ukraine, including Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia and Kherson, will be entitled to vote. It's clear that the numbers of dead from Russia's side are impacting on morale in the country and the suggestion is that support for the whole thing is waning, despite the usual propaganda from Russian state media. So is Putin there to be taken on? Well, the simple answer is no, of course. Uh, Russia is not a democracy in any real sense. Putin can't really lose if he runs, which he is expected to, having established tight controls over the political system there. Not to mention, of course, his rule-by-fear techniques. But for Yekaterina Dantsova, none of that is stopping her. And she wants to end the war and free political prisoners. So who is she and why is she running? A mum of three, a lawyer with a bit of journalism in her past, a woman who, if she wins, says she'll spend on improving the lives of Russians, not new tanks. Her slogan is Return Our Country's Future. Times foreign correspondent Mark Bennett has conducted the interview and we'll talk to him in a moment. But let's be honest, the first question you probably have when you hear that someone is taking on Putin publicly is, aren't you putting yourself in some serious danger? So this is Dunsova answering if she is worried she could be arrested before the elections. Anything can happen, she says. We see everything that's happening all around us and all these classifications of people as foreign agents, even though it's unclear what the grounds are for this. Only yesterday, the LGBT community, which doesn't exist as a legal entity, was deemed extremist. Everything's possible in our country now. Any decisions, one should be mentally prepared for this. She is a brave woman for sure. And if she gets onto the ballot, and that is no mean feat in Russia in itself, what are her chances? Is the swell against the war strong enough to gain traction at an election? And are people even truly free to do so, even if it is? Mark told The World in 10, it depends on how much of a threat Putin thinks she is. If the Kremlin does allow her on the ballot, she might just be used as a kind of like token liberal. Um, Russia can say, no, we have real elections. Look at this woman, she's against Putin. She wants to give kind of a sense of hope to Russians who'd like to see the end of the fighting in Ukraine, who'd like to see a, kind of a democratic future. But it seems fairly split. I mean, I think it's about, I think it's about 50-50, like 50% for, 50% against. So potentially she has millions of voters. But, I mean, I don't think there's any chance at all that she'll be allowed to stand as an, a kind of overt uh, anti-war candidate. Well, she's not prominent enough at, uh, right now for her to potentially be a target, I think, in the way that we saw, like, um, Boris Nemtsov, the opposition leader who was killed, or Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader who was poisoned and then imprisoned. I mean, I don't think she doesn't have the clout. I mean, no one's ever heard of us. I mean, heard of her. 
until she announced it that she wanted to become president. At this point, it's quite likely that Times readers know more about her than ordinary Russians. You can read Mark's exclusive interview with Yekaterina Dantsova now at thetimes.co.uk. It's a rare insight into that world. Meanwhile, one thing that has become clear in Russia is that financial support for Ukraine's fight against them may just have waned significantly, with Republican senators in the US rejecting Joe Biden's bill that would have included $61 billion more dollars of aid to Ukraine. And as has become clear in recent weeks, of course, Rebecca, Ukraine and Israel's plights are interlinked. Yes, the Republicans also rejected $14 billion for Israel. They wanted immigration reform in exchange, and Biden has warned as a result, US funding for Ukraine will run out before 2024 begins. Now, Israel probably could have done with the extra two. With more pressure coming from the West, its latest battle is with the United Nations. The Secretary-General yesterday invoked a rarely used article in the UN Charter, number 99, which calls on members to step in to avert a humanitarian catastrophe. Israel's foreign minister has accused Antonio Guterres of supporting Hamas. Mark Regev, one of the Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's senior advisers, told Times Radio Guterres has made tactical and strategic errors by making that call. First of all, from a tactical point of view, he already called for this sort of ceasefire a month ago. And had we agreed then, we would never have had the military pressure to get our hostages out. And we got over 100 hostages out precisely because we conditioned a ceasefire on the release of hostages. If Hamas could have got a ceasefire without releasing hostages, we wouldn't have got a single person home. The strategic mistake is obvious. He's saying, let's keep Hamas in power. If you're in favor of a ceasefire that keeps Hamas in power, when we're about to destroy Hamas, you're actually protecting them and keeping them alive. Here's the problem. If you keep Hamas alive, if you keep Hamas in power, then you'll be interviewing me six months from now or a year from now. There'll be another Gaza war. Because Hamas says openly they want a state of permanent war with Israel, that they would do the October 7th massacre with the beheadings with the rapes, with the burning of people alive, they do that again and again and again. That's an important narrative in the Middle East conflict that everyone will be watching carefully. To a totally different part of the world now and a question... What's on your Christmas list? An iPhone? Maybe a TV or an exercise bike? Or maybe you just want a new Christmas jumper or even just some lights? Let's hope not, because they're at least going to increase in price from now or maybe not be available at all. Why? A drought in the Panama Canal. It's one of the world's busiest and most relied upon shipping routes, but Panama, which is usually one of the wettest countries on the planet, has been forced to lower the water level of the lake that feeds the canal's locks, and so reduce the number and the weight of ships using it. It's causing weeks of delays. Apart from the regular Christmas gifts we mentioned, a lot of Christmas foods are affected too. If you like cherries, plums and nectarines in your Christmas puds, We'll have another think this year. Scientists say it's been caused by the El Nino climate phenomenon, which causes hotter and drier weather in Panama. But Times reporter Kieran Gare told us we're genuinely now at a point where alternative shipping lanes may need to be established. This issues occurred before in Panama. So 2014, there was a similar drought, but never one that's lasted this long and has been this severe. Different companies are looking at other ways to sort of circumvent it. But Given how long um, the Pamela Canal is being relied on, it would it would need a lot more effort to work out how how to um, 
improve the world's shipping routes to get around this issue. I mean, the, the El Nino event is contributing to it, but most scientists say the issue with climate change is just going to prolong this drought. And obviously it will continue. It looks like it's going to continue on until next year. So it won't just be this Christmas that will be affected. It's likely going to continue for, you know, years to come and obviously get worse. This is the world in 10 spreading Christmas joy one delayed gift at a time. Can we improve things with our next story? Um, afraid not. Because we return to the row encompassing Luis Rubiales, the former Spanish football president, and his World Cup celebrations, which saw him kiss Yeni Hermoso on the lips without consent to the horror of everyone watching. Now the chairwoman of the English FA has claimed he forcefully kissed Lucy Bronze too. That's one of England's players. In a statement, Rubiales said it was a gentle gesture of comfort. Details on the Times app now. Believe it or not, even though it came out in the US and UK months ago, nobody in Japan has actually seen Oppenheimer in the cinema yet. Yeah, there was calls for a boycott of the film there after the official social media account for the movie liked tweets that showed memes containing the atomic bombing. But the distributor says it will now be released next year after much discussion and consideration because it says the subject matter it deals with is of great importance and special significance to the Japanese. What a relief to all of Hollywood. That's all we've got time for. Thank you for taking the time to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow.